I want you to open your Bible over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, an amazing gift you must understand. Matthew chapter 16. We just got back yesterday from the annual Grace Conference at the Quentin Road Baptist Church. It was a great conference this year. The largest group of folks they've ever had at the Grace Conference. They had much to offer from many people and many ministries. And in a sense, the Grace Conference, if you've never been, you owe it to yourself to come next year. Really go every year if you'd like. Just be back here on Sunday. Okay? But... um, It is kind of a homecoming with many like-minded people who believe in salvation by grace. Oh, we don't know what every single person who comes, especially the new ones, but we do know this. It is kind of a homecoming. There are people you see that you see, you've seen over the years. It's great to connect with them again, encouragement, how you've been doing, this and that. People in ministry, I sometimes meet people for the first time. They'll come up, hi, I'm so-and-so, and and I'm just looking at them. I'm supposed to person. I I watch you on YouTube. I decided to come to the conference this year. That happens sometimes to us. Or we listen to you over the internet, and those kind of things do happen. And then there's also other people in ministry that I've heard about in my Christian life and ministry that end up going, and I've never met them before, and I'm able to talk to them, or people I'm familiar with, but I've never been able to just sit down, because it's a hectic two days. If you've been down to the Grace Conference, you know how that is. It flies by. It flies by. But anyways, we had a great time there. The local church there, Quentin Road, they did an amazing job hosting the conference, as they always do. You know, this year there was something I noticed at the Grace Conference. There was a calm and yet determined and serious mindset this year about the gospel of grace and the ministry that is set before us. I noticed that. There was just something about it where, I don't know if it's what we've been through in the last couple years that has kind of matured all of us as far as our mission and the soon coming of Jesus and dealing with the possibilities of uh, uh, you know government infringement and uh, violation of our constitutional rights and all of that. I think it all kind of goes into the mix. There was a calm, like, we're calm. We know what our mission is, and by the grace of God, let's all work together and and accomplish this and get this work done. So that was wonderful. And folks, that is the body of Christ. That is the church. And we're talking about the church today, but we're going to be talking about it, three aspects of the church that I want you to see and how they relate to our salvation. And that's something that I'd never seen before, but I get quite excited about those kind of things. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I know there are people who say, well, Peter was the rock. I don't believe he was. I think it was the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he's the Messiah, that he's the Savior. In other words, the church is built on the gospel and on Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ. And I think that's what it's referring to in Matthew 16. But you notice what he said. The Lord said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, this word church is a Greek word, ekklesia. Okay. And it means it is a called out assembly. There's the people of the world and it's, it's God calling out in our context of Christianity. It's God calling out of the world a group of people. 
for himself. In our age, it is made up of Jew and Gentile who have trusted in Jesus Christ alone as Savior. We believe that the church began on the day of Pentecost and the church will go home at the rapture of the church, which could be any moment. It's an imminent event. Nothing has to take place before the rapture takes place. And so we're looking for the Lord to come any day. But it covers, again, from the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 to the rapture of the church. And we call this period the church age, the church age. We are called out of the world to Christ. He has a purpose and a mission for his children, okay? Now, salvation itself, getting saved, becoming a believer, getting saved from hell to heaven, that's what we, when we talk about getting saved, we're talking about being saved from hell to heaven, There are three aspects to that, and we've covered them many times. There's justification, there's sanctification, and there's glorification. Now, if you're not familiar with those terms, don't tune out. You're not going to get lost, okay? I'm going to explain these things. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. And all three of them are mentioned, maybe not in those words, but all three of them are mentioned several places in Scripture Even in one single verse, it makes reference to this entire plan of salvation, the scope of salvation. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. We won't look at a lot of those. That's not the point of the message today. But I do want you to see this because this sets a beautiful foundation for where we're going today in our message. Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul says this. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun, now he's talking to the Philippian believers. These are saved people. They already have salvation. They trusted Jesus Christ and him alone as Savior. God saved them, gave them eternal life. They're children of God. Okay, and they're part of a local church, the church at Philippi. More about that in a little bit. But it says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now I look at Philippians 1.6 and I see all aspects of salvation in Philippians 1.6. It says, he which hath begun a good work in you, that's justification. That takes place the moment you trust Jesus Christ the Savior. God has begun a good work in you. See, the beauty of salvation, folks, we know this, it's an eternal salvation. Once it starts, it never stops. When you are born again, You're eternal. You have an eternal new nature. And your salvation never stops. And what God is doing in your life never stops. He which hath begun a good work in you, that's justification, will perform it. That's sanctification. That's God working in our Christian lives from the time we get saved to the time we go home to be with him, either through death or rapture, until the day of Jesus Christ. That's glorification. That's when we go home to be with the Lord or he comes at the rapture and we are going to be glorified. He's going to give us new bodies. And so we see all three of those. Salvation involves justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification is when we put our faith in Christ, all of our sins are paid for, they're washed away, they are forgiven, and God says, you are declared as righteous in my eyes. That is, justification is a declaration of our righteousness, our innocence, 
in Christ, okay? Sanctification, I'll talk about that in just a minute. And then glorification, as I mentioned, it is when we see the Lord at the rapture, or of course, when we go to be with him. There's a sense that we are glorified at that point as well. Now, here's the point today. Salvation, and I never saw this before until this week, salvation runs in perfect parallel with the nature of the church. Now watch this. Salvation, the whole concept, justification, sanctification, glorification. Salvation runs in perfect parallel with the nature of the church. Three aspects of the church I want to draw attention to today. And the first one is this, the universal church, or some would call it the spiritual church, however you want to see it. What am I referring to? I am referring what what you become a part of the moment you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You become part of the body of Christ. You become part of the church. You become one of those called out believers for the Lord at that point. This is the universal church, and when I say that, I'm not talking about anybody who says they believe in Jesus or is not Muslim, is a Christian. No, we're not, we don't use those terms in a sloppy way around here. The universal church or the spiritual church, however you want to say it, it is what simply happens to you the moment you trust Christ the Savior. You become part of that body. The universal church is made up of all believers around the world. I think of the Ethiopian eunuch when Philip was told, go down on the road to Gaza. There's somebody I want you to talk to, basically, is what it came down to. He went there. He saw the Ethiopian eunuch, and he noticed he was reading, and he was reading Isaiah chapter 53, and he says, you understand what you're reading? Now, I'm paraphrasing, okay? You understand what you're reading? Uh, No. How can I except somebody show me? And so it says right there, Philip preached unto him Jesus. He understood the gospel that Ethiopian eunuch did. He put his faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. And then he said, because he knew there was this thing called baptism that Christians do, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe, you can be baptized. And he did. He said, I believe. And so Philip stopped, chariot took him, water baptized him by immersion, okay? And then Philip was caught away to another city. By the way, that's amazing. You know what? The eunuch, it doesn't record that he was astonished by that. I mean, Philip just disappeared. By the way, the word caught away there is the same thing that's used in 1 Thessalonians 4, where it says, we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. It's the same Greek word there. But Philip was like, he was gone. And the eunuch was so thrilled he was saved. He says, hey, where'd he go? Ah, who cares? I'm saved. You know, well, he didn't really say that necessarily. I mean, that's not in the text. Sorry about that. But here's the point. He became part of the body of Christ while he was standing in the chariot and understood the gospel. He hadn't joined a local church, but he was part of the church, the body of Christ. And you know what? He became part of the church when he was justified. As soon as he got saved, he's part of the body of of Christ. Be careful of some of these churches that say there is no such thing as a universal spiritual church. There's only local church. What do you do with the uh, Ethiopian eunuch? Where do you put him? Is he not saved until he joins a local church? That would be works for salvation. That would be works for salvation. What do you do with Philippian jailer? He got saved. He's part of the body of Christ. 
Had he joined the local church? Has he gone, did he go through membership class? Well, no. Yeah, I know there are some people who say that. Your salvation is not recognized until you're part of the local church. Wait a minute, friends. That's works for salvation. No, 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 no. You are saved the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior. You are justified, and when you are, you're part of the body of Christ. You're part of the church. The Ethiopian eunuch, he didn't have a local church yet, but he was still part of the body. You become part of it by believing the gospel. Look with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and we see this. It says in verse 13, Ephesians 1 verse 13, Paul says, in whom, referring to Jesus, Ephesians 1.13, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. When you believe, you're sealed. That's why you're eternally secure. One of the many reasons you're eternally secure, which is the earnest, the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Paul was talking about all believers there, all believers. It's true of every believer. And so you're part of the universal church. Some people call it the spiritual church, whatever you want to call it. I usually use the term universal. And I know there are people who say, well, yeah, but that means Catholic. We're not Catholic. The word Catholic in itself means universal. When you tag Roman in the front of it, now you got a problem. Now you got a problem. Now I don't like using the term Catholic church because people, most people think about the Roman Catholic church in Rome, you know, linked with the Vatican and the Pope and the, the Cardinals and the Orioles and the Blue Jays. And no, I'm just teasing. Some people won't like that. Sorry. But you get the point? This is how you become justified. And when you put your faith in Christ, you are justified and you also become part of the body of Christ. Linked to justification, Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you understand the gospel, that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, he was buried and he rose again the third day, and you trust in Christ, not your works, but you trust in Christ alone, you are part of the body of Christ then. Now, that is an incredible blessing and a joy just to be saved. But can I tell you, folks, just like in salvation, there's more to being saved than just being justified. Did you catch that? There's more to being saved than just being, than by simply being justified. There's justification, there's sanctification, and there's glorification. Now here it is. God's plan does not stop at justification. God wants his children to grow. This deals with our daily Christian lives, and this deals with sanctification. Now, it is true that when we get saved, we are set apart by God that very moment. We're called out. The word saint is uh, linked to sanctification, saint, sanctified, okay? It's all related to that. It's also translated in a couple places as the word pure or purified. Here's the truth. This deals with our daily sanctification. Sanctification takes place when we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, 
we are set apart to him. We are made pure in light of eternity, but the Lord also wants us to purify our lives on a practical basis. This is the Christian life. As we live, this is the practical aspect of sanctification. Initially, when we trust Christ, we're set apart for God, but God wants that setting apart, that purifying process in our daily lives on a practical basis. Jesus said this in John 17, 17. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. He was talking about disciples, those who would trust Christ as Savior. Now, were they sanctified when they got saved? Yes, they were, but that's a positional sanctification. That is not the practical sanctification that Jesus was talking about. He was talking about Christian growth. He was talking about having more of a pure life, having more of a godly life, developing Christian character. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, turn there with me. Let me say this, I don't want to get off on this because of time too much. There's some people, there's a false teaching on the internet that's going on right now that they only see sanctification as the positional sanctification of when you get saved. And anything talking about life changing, your life changing as a believer, they say that's legalism. Now, myself, Dr. Arnold, and some others are being attacked as being legalists because we believe that there's a practical aspect to our sanctification. And there is. That's what the Bible teaches. As a matter of fact, that's what Jesus was praying to the Father for. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. He was talking about safe people getting sanctified. You might say, well, I thought they're already sanctified. Positionally, yes, but not practically. That has to do with the Christian growth. Look what Paul said to the Thessalonian saints. Believers, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, completely. Yes, in eternity, we're sanctified. We're set apart for God. But Paul was praying that they would continue in their Christian lives and grow spiritually and be set apart more and more to the Lord and be more and more godly in their life. There's no contradiction, folks. That's just an expansion of the Bible doctrine. Sanctify them wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the most biblical way this sanctification takes place is through a gift God has given us, and this gift is within our salvation. And this is a major point we're covering today. You might say, what is that gift? Number two, the local church. The local church. How are we sanctified One of the main things God uses in our lives as believers to sanctify us on a practical basis is the local church. This is vital. This runs in harmony with sanctification. Remember, salvation, three parts, justification, sanctification, glorification. Okay? We are justified the moment we trust Christ the Savior. We become part of the universal church the moment we trust Christ the Savior. But to fulfill the sanctification God wants in our lives, he wants us to become part of the local church. The local church deals with 
our practical sanctification, our growth as believers. Both of those things are incredibly important. This is vital. Again, it runs in harmony with sanctification. This is a wonderful aspect of the plan of God and is incredibly important in his plan. Every person who trusts Jesus Christ as Savior is part of the body of Christ, the church, whether you have a local church or not. But God wants us all to be a part of a local church. This is in the plan of God. It's in the word of God. It's very clear in scripture. This is where sound, true spiritual growth best takes place. Now, I know that we get people who watch us and they'll say, oh, I wish I had a church in my area that had the gospel. I've been to every church. None of them have the gospel right and all that. Listen, my heart goes out to you. And we're glad you're watching. And we're glad at least you can, you know, live stream with us and and glean from our resources and all of that. But there's nothing that takes the place of actually having a physical place to go to, to meet with your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a vital part of our growth as believers. Now, I say this occasionally to people who who call, and and I get people, and listen, folks, I'm talking about these are godly people who want to do right. I'll get calls, and I'll get emails from people, and they'll say, do you know of any church in my area? I just don't have a lot of time to research stuff like that. And that's hard to nail down, because even doctrinal statements sometimes, they're not accurate to what the church believes. Now, that goes both ways. Can I tell you, I heard of a situation recently where a church had a terrible doctrinal statement. And the pastor of the church was as clear doctrinally as can be. You might say, how does that work? Because he came later. The doctrinal statement was already entrenched. Now, I'm not sure why he took the pastorate there, but maybe over time, he can change that church and change the doctrinal statement. However, what I find often is the case is a church may have a good doctrinal statement. Then you go there and you start listening. And you're saying, well, these people are lordship salvation. These people, they believe you can lose your salvation. These people are wackos in this area or that area. Listen, it is hard to find a local church. But when you find one, that's why it's so valuable to be a part of it. Because it's a treasure, folks. It's a treasure, And it's part of God's will for your life. Now, I like to say this to those who call or email. Listen, if you're a man and you're a godly man and you really want a local church in your area, you know where I'm going with this. Why don't you start one? Hey, listen, the New Testament, the early church did not go to seminary for 12 years before they went out and started to work. These people got into the word, they were discipled by godly people who knew the word, and they planted churches, and they started churches, and God became strong in their behalf, and God blessed the work, and that church was established, okay? Listen, I believe in Bible college, and depending on the seminary, seminary, depending on that, okay? But here's the point. You don't have to have that to be godly and to be fruitful in ministry, You can learn in a local church, you can be discipled, pay attention, apply yourself, and God can grow you up to where now you can go and you can start a church someplace. And my pledge is this, anything we can do to help people start local churches, we're glad to do. And we will refer you, if we can't help you, we'll refer you to somebody who we feel can help you establish that church and start that church. So there are answers to these things. Now, do, are we willing to pay the price? 
If you're just a consumer to where, well, I really don't want to start a church. I just want to get from good teaching. I just want to consume the good teaching that I'm getting, but I don't really want to do anything. Well, I can't help you on that. Local church, though. God wants us all to be part of the local church because this is where sound, true spiritual growth best takes place. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Now, Hebrews is seen as a general epistle. It's not written to a specific church, local church. We know that, but that doesn't mean it's not meant for the local church. It is meant for the local church. The truths are meant, and we see that very clearly here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Now, you notice the writer didn't say, let me. That's important. Now, that's a no-brainer, let me hold fast the profession of my faith without wavering. He said, let us. What is that saying? Here's what it's saying, folks. This is meant for us as a group. A group is, in a sense, what a local church is all about, right? There's more than one of us. It's not just me and the internet. That's not church. By the way, there are people who are actually saying, we don't need local churches. We have the internet. I'm glad it's there. I'm glad it's a tool. But folks, there is no substitute for the actual local church with living and breathing people, okay? Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful in that promise. And let us, there it is again, us, us, not just me. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, there are people who watch us who live in St. Cloud and and around our area here, and they don't come to church because they realize if they come, they're going to have to be accountable. They may be asked to do something. Or they're living in sin, they don't want to change their life, but they want to glean some stuff that might help them feel a little better because of the conviction they're dealing with. But they just use the internet. They don't come to church, they just use the internet. That's not God's plan for your life. You're out of the will of God. Let me be that bold. You're out of the will of God. Now, if you can't come, that's another story. Welcome, we're glad you're viewing. But if you can come and you're not, you're out of the will of God not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, even back then, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the days or the day approaching. You notice in the book of Revelation, chapter two and three, it's a letter to the what? Seven what? Churches, not Christians. Now those churches are made up of Christians, but it's the letters to the seven Churches. These were all local churches, real local churches of believers at the time John wrote Revelation. And Jesus is the one who's talking to those seven churches, and he's very serious about them as local churches. Then you have Paul's epistles written to the church at Rome, two epistles written to the church at Corinth, Galatians written to several local churches. Ephesians, written to the church at Ephesus. There's one written to the church at Philippi. There's one written to the church at Colossae. There's two epistles written to the church at Thessalonica. All local churches. God's will is the local church. And the local church will go a long way in aiding you and me to fulfill 
our Christian walk sanctification. That is God's will. So justification, when you get justified, you become part of the universal church. As we go on in the Christian life and we are sanctified on a practical basis, we are part of the uh, tool that God uses to do that is the local church, the local church. We see God's plan for sanctification, by the way, in Christian living in Ephesians 4, this issue of local church. And it says in verse 11, I'll just read it, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. What is their job? For the perfecting, the maturing, the completing of the saints, to do the equipping of the saints, to do the work of the ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. Do you see this as a corporate thing? This has to do with the Christian life. I'm so excited. We have people in our church and down through the years who have trusted Christ the Savior through the ministry here at Northland. And as they learn to walk with Christ through the ministry of the local church here, they have matured and they have become equipped and now they themselves are doing ministry. Some have gone off to Bible college and come back. Some are out in the ministry right now. Our three daughters are out in the ministry. They came up through this. This is their sanctification. This is part of their Christian growth. This is the plan of God. Some of you are sitting right here, by the way, who are part of that as well. What a blessing you are. Let me tell you that. What a blessing you are. Those of you who got saved through our ministry and you're still walking with Christ and maturing and serving Christ, you don't know the encouragement you are. And you are an encouragement. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ till we come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect, complete man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why is the local church such an amazing gift? Well, let me give you some. This is not exhaustive. You have it, though. Let me give you several reasons. Let's look at them. The local church provides some things. What are those things? Well, one, personal interaction. Personal interaction. Let me just get right down to it. These are people you can see and touch. I'd say, why? Well, I touch them through my iPad. No, you don't. Now, I love the iPad. I use it. I'm using one right now. What about FaceTime? Well, FaceTime is better than email, I'll tell you that. FaceTime is better than a phone call. But folks, like dear saint went home to be with the Lord this, this week. Oh, listen, it's good to be able to call people and email them and all that, but you know, we were able to go over there yesterday. This is part of the local church ministry, being able to do this. It's one of the benefits. We were able to go there yesterday and give people hugs and love them and encourage them, okay? One of the family, I don't get to see him very often simply because they're not part of our church, I was able to talk to him heart to heart, looking eyeball to eyeball. He shed some tears. I had my arm around him, okay? Folks, internet can't do that. God made us this way. This is part of what he planned. There's personal interaction. Local church provides that. Training. It's a place for personal discipleship. This is where we learn not only the word of God, the facts, but how to apply those facts to life. You can work together in ministry. Isn't that a delight? A lot of you. Listen, we had over 50 people helping with VBS this year. Working together, arm in arm, in ministry. We can worship together. Isn't that a glorious thing when we can worship together? 
As I mentioned about working together in ministry, evangelism and discipleship. Listen, fair evangelism, not equitable evangelism, okay? Fair evangelism in in the sense of going to the Benton County Fair. It's coming again in August. We're able to do that. We can do it together. That's exciting. That builds, it builds relationship. It builds strength. It, It builds character. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. We can worship together. Here's another one. There's accountability. Now, that's the main reason a lot of people don't want to be a part of local church because they don't want to be accountable to anybody. And some of these internet people, listen, folks, you have no idea what kind of life they're living. They can put on the thing. They can do all kinds of videos and everything. And yet off camera, they can be just as perverted and corrupt as the day is long. I'm not accusing anybody. I'm just saying that's a possibility. Why? They're not accountable to anybody. They can say what they can come out, they can shoot their bullets, say what they want, and then go retreat and hide again. In the local church, there's accountability. Listen, if I don't live my life right as a pastor, I'm accountable to the church, and the church can get me out of there. And that's important, the checks and balances. But if you don't have local church, you lose all that. Discipline, church discipline. Believers who are living in sin, if they're going to be stubborn about that and they're not going to try to get help and get out of it, then they need to be disciplined out of the church. That's in the Bible, by the way. That's not being a meanie. That's being proper. Now, we believe in an atmosphere of grace here, and you know that. You know that. As a matter of fact, uh, let me tell you something. I had, and they're probably watching right now, we had somebody come visit with us months ago here at church person is a widower. He came to church here. He, came from, he visited us from another state, drove over a thousand miles, I think. And he just posted this week. He said, I never felt more loved than when I walked into your church. That's what he said. I didn't solicit that. That's what he said. You know what church? That's local church. See if you can get that from your MacBook. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Oh, I know there is a level of friendship connection and all that. Listen, by the way, don't send me emails telling me I'm wrong on this. I'm not wrong. It's in the Bible. Another one, there's a family atmosphere that cannot be beat. There's this family atmosphere. Let me tell you something. The Gaithers certainly aren't perfect, but didn't they write some great songs? I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. There's encouragement. There's love. I say, I don't feel love when I come. Well, let me ask you this. Are you loving? Many times we uh, receive what we give first. Lastly, so what are we saying? When you get saved, you become part of the universal church, justification. Our Christian lives, part of the will of God as we experience sanctification and grow in godliness and Christ-likeness, The major tool, one of the major tools God uses in our lives to accomplish that is the local church. So we're part of the universal church when we get saved, but God wants us part of the local church, okay? But do you know what? It doesn't stop at death because there's number three, there's the church in heaven. Did you know the church is in heaven? You might say, how is that? Is there a building? No, no. Yeah, there is the New Jerusalem, but the church is in heaven because the body of Christ, many believers have gone on to be with the Lord. They're part of the body of Christ. This is our destiny. And this runs parallel with, you guessed it, glorification. 
glorification. When we get to the heavenly realm one day, folks, let me show you this. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter three. I, I love this verse. By the way, this is a great one if you're dealing with somebody in a cult like the Seventh-day Adventist cult because they believe in soul sleep, that you don't go to be with the Lord when you die. You're just kind of comatose in the ground. There's so many scriptures that contradict that. Paul talked about being absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's just one, one passage. But here in Ephesians 3.15, I love this. It says, of whom the whole family, <laughs> he's talking about the body of Christ, the family of God, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You know what? We've got family in heaven, okay? Our newest family member who's gone to be with the Lord's Arnie. He's still part of the family, right? He's just gone on before. That's all. He's waiting, and we're on our way. We'll be there. We will be reunited with fellow believers who have gone on before us. I called Earl Lenz yesterday, and I said, Earl, just to make sure uh, you, know, you, you know, and that Arnie went home to be with the Lord this morning. Yeah, yeah, I heard. And we talked a little bit about that. Now, here's a guy who's in his mid-90s. He couldn't talk much yesterday. He was on his breathing machine, his nebulizer, whatever it is that he was on. But we visited him last week in person out at the VA. How could anybody be in their mid-90s and have such a sharp mind as that guy? It's just downright discouraging. (laughs) He's a wonderful man. By the way, if you enjoyed brats at the VBS picnic this year, they came from Earl. He insisted we have brats this year. I heard the request, what do we do, Pastor? Should we do that? Do it, okay? Earl, he wants to give. Do you know he still tithes to our church? He still gives money to our church? I probably shouldn't say that. Well, I can say it because he doesn't have streaming, so he doesn't know that we're saying it. So don't tell him I said it. Then again, it's not a bad thing, right? Anyways, we are going to be reunited with fellow believers. Let's close, almost close, over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And you know the scriptures, saints, but listen, this is what is coming. Hey, all the church is going to be in heaven one day. Isn't that great? Isn't that what the rapture's about? Is that the loose ends of those of us who are still on the planet? The day is coming when the church is going to be complete and Jesus is going to say... I'm going to go get my bride, and I'm going to take her, and he's going to gather all the believers, and those who have gone to be with him are going to come back to claim their new glorified body. It's going to be changed, and then our bodies will be glorified as well, and our bodies will be changed, and then we're all going to go up. The entire, the entire church will be in heaven. That's glorification. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope, those asleep or believers who have gone to be with him. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, 
And so shall we ever be with the Lord. What kind of an effect should that have on us? Well, verse 18 is the answer. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Okay? Listen, our dear brother who went to be with the Lord yesterday, Arnie Kahara, while there is grief, we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. He has simply arrived home before we have. That is all. It is a temporary loss. Or are you just saying that? No, God says that. It is a temporary loss. This promise of reunion comes from the Lord God Almighty who cannot lie. But you have to be in Christ. The promise of reunion comes from him. And this blessing is only for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. Let's close over here with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Perhaps you're here today and you're not sure you're going to heaven when you die. Listen up. Let this represent you and me and let my wallet represent our sin. We're all sinners. The Bible tells us though God loves us. He loves every person who's ever lived or ever will live. He hates our sin. Sin is contrary to him and his nature. Sin separates us from God. To get to heaven, you have to be sinless in the eyes of God. None of us are. And God says our sin has to be paid for. He is a just God. If we do it, we'll spend forever separated from him in hell. The wages of sin is not good works. You don't pay for your sins by good works. The wages of sin is not water baptism, giving money, walking forward, promising God you're going to live differently, trying to keep the commandments. Death is the only payment for sin. A death payment must be made. The choice is this. Either you're going to make it and be lost forever, separated from God, or you're going to accept the payment Jesus made, his death for your sin. See, he came into the world, God in the flesh, the sinless one. And when he went to the cross, all the sin we've ever done in our whole lifetime till the day we die, he took it upon himself and he made the payment so we don't have to. He was buried and rose from the grave. And he simply says this, if you will believe that he did that for you, he'll save you by his grace, his unmerited favor. For by grace are you saved through faith. I hear people say sometimes, you're saved by faith. No, not really. You're saved by grace. Faith is the vehicle. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't save yourself. It says so right there. Only Jesus can save. Trust him as your Savior. Would you do that? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.